Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, your host for White House Chronicle. Today is a big day for us because we welcome to the broadcast Adam Clayton Powell III as a new co-host and sometimes host to the program. I hasten to add that Linda Gasparella will also co-host from time to time and continue to produce as she is doing today. Adam is a name of legend in broadcasting and in academia, having had one of the most distinguished careers possible with credits from CBS, PBS, NPR, and the University of Southern California. He is a graduate of MIT and is the son of two legends, Adam Clayton Powell Jr., congressman from New York, and jazz singer and pianist Hazel Scott. Welcome, Adam. Thank you, Llewellyn, for uh, that rather uh, fulsome introduction. But uh, let's continue. Today, our guest is Todd O'Connor, who was an aide to House Speaker Tip O'Neill during the presidency of Ronald Reagan, and they were giants of American politics in the 1980s. Todd, you are working on a documentary about O'Neill and Reagan, and so why don't you begin by telling us about that? Well, yeah, I uh, remember reading the, the book, The uh, Tip O'Neill and Democratic Century by uh, John A. Farrell. And in a way, it talked about my background. Um, I, I, I came from Boston, came from uh, Irish immigrants, and I just thought it, it spoke to me. And 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 the and the rise of and the struggles of the Irish American um, gentry. So I I, I love the book. I love the research that was done to the book, and. Um, reached out to uh, Jack Farrell back in 2004 through a series of emails, and uh, he, he agreed very graciously to allow me to option the, uh, the the book. And I've been renewing that option ever since, off and on, uh, since 2004. Tell me, Todd, what was it like to work for Tip O'Neill? Uh, as a journalist, I ran into him from time to time. I didn't know him, but of course, he was always very charming, very gracious. But politicians tend to be very charming to reporters when they meet them. That can change over time, but initially, it's always a warm uh, uh, arrangement. What was he like? Was he always warm? Was he always funny? He was, and he he found time. When I came in for an interview back in July of 1979, and there was an anti-busing piece of legislation on the floor, he still found time to talk to me about my family history. But he explained to me about about um, my my grandfather and great grandfather, where they lived in Dorchester, uh, in Massachusetts, and um, I, he told me something I didn't know. But, but the fact of the matter is, he he was like that as a person and um i and i was just so grateful to have a seat in history uh like a bird's eye view a box seat if you will uh, of, of of the 1980s adam did you run into him absolutely uh and i remember him as a, a someone who was full of humor and sometimes very pointed humor and one of the one of his great quotes was that the Democratic Party has succeeded so well that many of its members are now Republicans, which uh, <laughs> is funny, but also has a, a bit of truth in it. If you think about what happened uh, to the Irish Italian votes uh, under Reagan, uh, moving more Republican. Uh, so um, he, he could uh, 
uh, uh, definitely joke, but with a uh, uh, with a bit of uh, seriousness behind it. And uh, tell me, Todd, uh, about the relationship with Reagan. The high point of uh, their inter uh, interaction was when they Reagan asked to could they be friends. Is that correct? And have I said that rightly? I, I think you you captured it correctly. Um, it was after Tip had announced in January of 1986 that he was retiring at the end of that legislative session, which was in uh, not till uh, December of, of that year. Um, there was a fundraiser for uh, for his chair at Boston College on St. Patrick's Day in Washington, D.C. at the, I think the, Sh the Sheraton Hilton. And the keynote speaker was none other than President Ronald Reagan. And um, and he, uh, Ronald Reagan, the pr president, spoke for maybe 12 minutes or so. And I have a, you know, a courtesy of the Reagan Library out here in Sissimi Valley. Um, I, I was able to get the, the, the copy of the speech. And, and there was one passage that I wanted to share with you. It said, and Mr. Speaker, I'm grateful you have permitted me in the past, and I hope in the future, that singular honor, the honor of calling you my friend. I think the fact of our friendship is testimony to the political system that we are part of and the country we live in, a country which permits two not so shy and not so retiring Irishmen to have it out on the issues rather than on each other or their countrymen. Well, tell us about the Irishness of it, and how big was the Irish factor? Was it a factor of statesmanship, or was it a factor of Irish exceptionalism? I I think it was a combination of both, to be honest with you. Um, you know, they worked very hard together on the Irish problem. You know, the, you know, it culminated in the Good Friday Peace Accords when when uh, Bill Clinton was president. But without the work that was done by Speaker O'Neill and Pre President Reagan beforehand, uh, then it wouldn't have it wouldn't have come to that. And um, and they, in matter of fact, President Reagan, at the insistence of Speaker O'Neill, brought up that issue with Margaret Thatcher when Thatcher was Prime Minister of England. So um, and uh, and Tip was dedicated to finding a peaceful way forward. And and they they came very you know he worked very closely with the fellow by the name of John Hume, from um, from from Belfast, and, um, and and Hume was their country's version of Martin Luther King and, and looking for a peaceful solution to what the troubles were. I'm happy to say that I knew Hume. Adam, uh, what was your involvement in these events, if any? Uh, I actually uh, was in Ireland as a, as a producer a couple of times uh, for CBS and for NPR, but certainly watching how uh, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan worked uh, worked on the problem was just fascinating to because uh, they, they perhaps are best known for working together when they really were on opposite sides of an issue, uh, whether it was a tax cut, whether it was Social Security, and how they could work out a, a, a deal. Uh, but uh, uh, when they were both on the same side of an issue, uh, you really wouldn't want to put a brick wall between them and the solution. <laughs> I like that. How very Irish. 
Um, what went wrong with American politics? Either of you answer this. Uh, we don't seem to have those larger than life people who understand the national need as being larger than the political need and the party need. What happened? What went wrong? I would, you know, it reminds me of an old line from Pogo. We here met the enemy and it is us. And I think it was our unsatiable appetite for the 24-7 news cycle in cable TV. And I, and I think we, we got to a point, and I, and I think it's slowly re re regressing, but it's still out there, where, where we hang on every word or every talk show. People want to be more not, not, not famous for their actions, but rather for that minute or so Instagram or Facebook provides. And so I just think we have to take a step back and rein it in. You know, it's like the old West, you know, the, you know, they, some laws weren't I, I made, some laws were. Todd, Todd, I find it hard to believe that the 24 hour news cycle eclipsed greatness in politics. That seems uh, uh, unlikely. What do you think, Adam? Uh, well, actually, it, it's an interesting point because you remember the famous six o'clock rule that uh, um, that uh, President Reagan and uh, the Speaker O'Neill could really go after each other. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, Ronald Reagan thought that on one occasion that uh, Tip O'Neill had gone a little too far in uh, criticizing him. And uh, Reagan tells a story that he called up uh, O'Neill and Todd, you, you may have been on the other end of this, but said he called up O'Neill and said, how could you have said this about me? And uh, and uh, Neil uh, Reagan quoted O'Neill as saying, "Oh, that's just politics. You know, after six o'clock, we're buddies, we're friends. So when we um, have meetings, uh, 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 the president uh, Reagan said, when we have meetings. I guess I'll reset my watch to six o'clock. Uh, <laughs> but of course, but of course now uh, uh, there is no six o'clock. Uh, no. It's uh, a twenty-four hour cycle. But does that diminish the quality of the candidate? Does that mean that we have to have you know, shallow buffoonish people as our leaders because the news cycle is being sped up. That seems to me an extraordinary proposition for democracy and an extraordinary undermining of it, if you uh, put it that way. It certainly demands more of the it demands more of candidates that uh, uh, they have to be uh, uh, on at their best. Uh, in every waking moment, and maybe even beyond waking moments. Todd, what do you think? What do you see in the up-and-coming generation of politicians? Forget about the current handful. They're very old, most of them, and that's going to right. take its uh, lead to a natural change in time. What do you think? Do you see bright, gifted, and charismatic people who care about the national interest rising? I don't know if the numbers increase, but I think we, we will see, um, I think, more, uh, especially with, with, with term limits, it doesn't apply to members of Congress, but, but it does apply to the, 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 the bench roles that they play. And um, if you take a look at, at city councils and, and then governors and um, members of the state legislature, where, um, where a, lot, like a lot of good work is being done across the country, um, you know, we we just don't see it because they just they they do their good work 
in the shadows. You know, they, they just don't get the publicity. And maybe it's just a matter of 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 shining the light on on the good works that that they do. Todd, that's an excellent point because uh, in, in state capitals don't get much coverage in politics. Well, there are a few. Uh, uh, Boston is uh, uh, one of the few big cities that's a state capital. But uh, there's great work going on in state capitals, governors, members of legislatures in 2020 and 2021. And again, uh, last year, uh, we had an election cybersecurity project at USC, and we went to all 50 states, uh, some of them in person. And then when COVID hit, uh, we went one by one uh, by, uh, by Zoom and other, uh, other technologies. And we met a lot of people in state capitals around the country uh, Democrats and Republicans, who are these up-and-coming people in their 30s, 40s, and uh, it really does uh, give you uh, reason to be hopeful. Let's go back to Tip O'Neill uh, for the moment and explain to us, um, Todd, how he operated running the House, how he got legislation through, how he got bipartisan support uh, in the speech of politics, how did he twist arms? When, when he first got elected to Congress in 1952, his his roommate was Eddie Boland, um, whom he knew um, back when they both served together in the state legislature, and Eddie went on to be, become uh, a, a, a very prominent in Western Massachusetts politics. Um, and they, they all like the odd couple, but they always found, always found a poker game to hang out in. <laughs> and it was during that time when we went to playing poker when they would find out and they were and and um and poker was an equal opportunity um uh occupation if you were because you know there, there were republicans and democrats who were who, who would come and um he also made a point of being home when he wasn't in the leadership but go, being home and leaving that on thursday night and working his district the rest of the weekend and leaving Monday afternoon to go back to D.C. Um, how much of a role did drinking play? When I first started covering Congress more than 50 years ago, uh, you were offered drinks in congressmen's offices, bottles were readily available, a lot of committee chairmen uh, had regular cocktail parties at six o'clock at night. You went in right. and uh, the bottles were on the table and both parties were present. And next thing they were talking, solving, sometimes arguing, but mostly being enormously convivial about the work they had to deal with. Now it's a lot drier, a lot more formal and a lot more separation, social separation of the parties during uh, the legislative year, which can't be healthy. I mean, uh, liquor has always played an underrated possibly role. I mean, the House of Commons has a lot of bars in it for a good reason, and that enables the two parties to talk to each other, besides the thirst of some distinguished members like Winston Churchill. But um, the the important, is that important, or am I making too much of it, Todd? Depends how you find out about the other person as as a person. And it, it may be that uh, times have changed so you so uh, the 
the methods in which you learn about the other person have to change as well. But there has to be a sincere opportunity to learn and to listen from the other person. Well, I can give you a, a, a great memory that I have uh, from uh, being here and growing up uh, in New York, but being here in Washington on vacations when uh, my father was here when Congress was in session. And uh, he had a tiny house that is now a, back in the 1950s and 60s, he called it his slum with great affection. Um, and he would bring colleagues over uh, for dinner or for a drink, whatever. Um, and uh, one day, I think it was Hubert Humphrey came over and they were trying to figure out how to get uh, civil rights uh, legislation uh, through the Senate. And uh, uh, my father was many things, but he was uh, he would never claim to be a chef. And at one point he announced, well, um, I've got uh, three TV dinners here. Who wants the roast beef? Who wants the fried chicken? <laughs> and then he brought out a bottle of scotch. <laughs> and, uh, and at the time I was uh, uh, confined, I think, to milk. But uh, uh, but he and uh, whoever his guest would be would uh, consume much, if not all, the bottle of scotch. And uh, by the end of by the time the bottle was empty, they probably would have uh, gone a good way towards solving the problem. Well, he did seem. I watched this in the Joint Committee on Atomic Energy, which was a bipartisan, bicameral uh, committee, unusual because it had it was the only. Uh, committee of its type that had the authority to introduce legislation. And that um, when the chairmanship was in the House side and Chet Hollerfield, who was also chairman of government operations, six o'clock, he got everybody in his office for a drink. And they often disagreed beforehand and somewhat agreed afterwards and sometimes wholly agreed after <laughs> an hour or so. And they played in other ways. They would go yachting together, uh, both parties, the senators and the House. And of course, they knew a lot about each other. And I think that Todd makes a very valuable point that they were interested in each other, which, by the way, was also a characteristic of Winston Churchill, who got enormously angry with his son uh, <clears throat> because he published something critical of a member of the opposition. And Churchill said, but that man is my friend. Uh, and this is something that has disappeared. And in my memory, it seems to have started disappearing. Newt Gingrich uh, became speaker. Would I be right in the time there? Adam? Uh, that's, a, that's a good reference point. I think that uh, uh, while many, if not most of us, were urging that uh, uh, the, the House and Senate be open to live television coverage. One of the unanticipated consequences of that was that uh, uh, suddenly you had people who weren't speaking to colleagues who weren't speaking to each other, but were uh, going for that minute or two that they could get uh, uh, from uh, C-SPAN uh, that could then be translated into uh, a 30-second or 10-second soundbite on uh, local news. John, did... Uh, did uh, uh... Chip put uh, O'Neill put his go out of his way to help Reagan, even put his neck out to help Reagan. Uh, did he go against his party sometimes uh, to collaborate with the president when the party would much rather he had gone a different way? I think what he did was, um, it, it, I call it the, the rope dope approach. You know, Reagan uh, was elected. Uh, it wasn't even a close election back then in 1980. And when he came in, um, Tip probably lost, lost a number of seats 
and it was down to maybe a working majority of less than 40. So he knew, he knew intuitively that he couldn't fight everything that Reagan wanted to do, especially in the beginning. So what he would do, you know, and also with Reagan getting shot, remember Reagan was, was close, was assassinated, fortunately he survived it, but he was shot coming out of the Hilton. So uh, apart from the Pope, Reagan was probably the most popular politician um, and, and O'Neill knew that. So um, he, he allowed, I think he, he just read the tea leaves and did a very good job of it, of, of letting Reagan get his initial um, vic victories with the budget and then with the tax cut. And then all of a sudden in 1982, uh, the unemployment rate started to skyrocket. And, and I remember, and um, it was, you know, back in, because of the, the, uh, the uh, inflation and the unemployment rate going up, um, that, um, that whatever gains the, the Republicans had going in or thinking they had a mandate going into the 19, after the 1980 election, that they lost that mandate in 1982. And, and I, I think, um, there was, a, there, you know, and I, I think the, the genius of Tip O'Neill was the fact that he let, he, he took, you know, by allowing Reagan to get his, his budget victories in 1981 on the budget and on, and on the tax bills that, um, that there was now an opportunity to, to go on offense in 1982 and, and that worked to the Democrats advantage. Um, there's something new on the horizon or going on, which I'm not aware of having had before, and that is discord in political offices among the staff. There are reports that of uh, unhappiness in the vice president's office and Amy Klobuchar in the Senate. Uh, how did Tip handle his staff? Were they 100% for him? I always found staffs to be 100% for the person for whom they work. Even if they disagreed with them, they realized that was the job. Not that they thought they were uh, bad employers, difficult people. How is it? How did Tip handle his staff? He he was very good with staff. I you know he um, he had some. Um, he recognized that there were uh, people from from different walks of life. In, in his Boston staff, he definitely had Irish American folks from people who worked on his campaigns. But in DC, um, there was a, uh, uh, he, he was a, he had a longtime aide who became assistant clerk of the house. And I, I, I think it was, her name was Dolores Snow. And um, her, and her son was the first casting director for the TV series Cheers. And Tip was able to do a cameo on Cheers because of that connection. Um, he also, also um, uh, during the '60s, and and it's in it's in the book. Uh, and then I got to know uh, in 1980 when I started work, uh, the 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 executive director of the Democratic Steering and Policy Committee, Ari Weiss, and his lieutenant. By the name of Jack Lou. Jack Lou went on to become Secretary of the Treasury and Chief of Staff 
for um, for President Obama. But he was one of the hardest working individuals, one of the smartest and nonplus individuals around. But 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 Tip gave them a wide berth, and and um, he was rewarded in spades by the fact that they were loyal to him, and uh, he was loyal to them. One of uh, Tip O'Neill's colleagues, uh, Martin Frost, uh, Texas said something which was very interesting. He said, the speaker is enjoying sharing power with the president. This was 1983. So just after that period, Todd, you were just describing. Uh, did you see much of that, uh, the speaker enjoying sharing power with the president? Um, there were times when he would do that. There were times when, you know, he, he just uh, he just knew how to read a room. He knew how, how to read the moment in time he was in. And there and there's plenty of and he just realized there was plenty of time to 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 share in the wealth of if a good idea becomes policy then he's able to share that. That's uh, that's very interesting. I think it's only fair, Adam, for me to ask you how your father handled his staff and were they gung ho for him or were they putting trip wires on the stairs? Well, it was a, a very um, a different time. When my father became chairman of the House Education and Labor Committee, uh, the, he hired a great many, many people, and all of them were really aligned, focused on expanding uh, civil rights, uh, aid to education, um, uh, and uh, related issues. And so, uh, the, the staff really all uh, played together because they were all going toward the same goals, and uh, you didn't have um, uh, people going off and uh, uh, trying to uh, form factions. It really was a united effort, which uh, sometimes we see, in, uh, as, as you know, well, in uh, uh, leaks to uh, the New York Times and the Washington Post, uh, people um, trying to promote themselves rather than uh, not only their bosses, but sometimes their issues. And uh, let me ask Todd, as we come to the end of our broadcast today, Todd, uh, what is the name of the book that you own the documentary rights to? And what has to happen for the documentary to be made? Because it sounds utterly fascinating. Uh, the, it's called Tip O'Neill in the Democratic Century. And the author is John Aloysius Farrell, uh, who went on to uh, write uh, uh, several biographies. Uh, one was on Clarence Darrow called Attorney for the Damned. The other was on Richard Nixon called The Life. And then very recently in 2022, last year, he, uh, John came out with a biography on Ted Kennedy called All Life. That's our show for today. I thank Adam so much. It's a delight to have you as my co-host on the broadcast. Todd, thank you for the interesting discussion. And let's hope that we see some more larger-than-life people of the Irish persuasion or otherwise to lead the nation. Cheers, that's our show. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We are there.